popcorn throughout the time. We have a lot of popcorn. We need to make sure it's all gone. Right, Rose? Yeah, we don't want to throw any away. Um, but let me, let me pray, and then we're going to kind of start off. Father, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that we can gather here. Thank you for just uh, providing safety as everyone uh, arrived here. We pray just for safety as everyone leaves, just as it's raining tonight. Lord, as we begin to talk about faith and politics, I just pray, give us wisdom, give us humility. May this be a fun night in which we get to engage in a topic which so often we don't talk about. And we know that there is so much hostility and disunity surrounding uh, politics in this world. May what we do tonight truly be a testimony of the unity that we have in your son, Jesus. Um, Lord, may we, uh, may we glorify you in the way we talk, in the way we ask questions, in the way we respond with one another. In your name, Jesus, amen. Uh, well, we have uh, a couple purposes why we, uh, why we chose to do this. We wanted to begin a conversation. We know that uh, politics is often not talked about in churches. We often are scared to talk about it. We know it's, it gets to be hostile. So we wanted to start a conversation. And in all reality, depending upon how tonight goes and what we're all thinking, we'd like to do more of these as we move throughout the year. One of the things at the elder board uh, or at the elder retreat we did this last year, we said if we wait to start talking about politics in you know, September, we just begin reacting and we become a voice and we get lost in everything. And so we said we wanted to start early. So we, we said, we'll start in January. Uh, so that's what we're doing. We're just trying to start a conversation tonight. Uh, we want to lower the temperature when it comes to politics and everything that we talk about. We're hoping to show uh, that as Christians, we ought to be able to talk about politics in a humble way, a way without inciting hostility. Uh, we want to provide a framework tonight just on, on how to talk about things, how to think about things, not that you have to agree with everything that we say. Um, we want to maximize our gospel unity and maximize our gospel witness. So when we think about politics here within the church, we want to make sure there's no disunity because of politics. When we go outside this building and we're sharing the gospel, we want to make sure that the way we talk about politics does not hinder the way that we will share the gospel. And so those are, are just some of our goals as we are, are starting tonight. Uh, so we have some ground rules. This is our first night, and, and we don't know what to do. And I, I was at Thrive earlier, the gym. I walked in there, and I saw the owner, and he said, how you doing? And I talked to him, and I said, you know, we're doing a faith in politics tonight. And he did what several other people have done since I've said that. He took me aside, and he said, what, what are you thinking? Uh, and then he, he quickly corrected me and gave me everything I should and should not say. Uh, so, but that's been a little bit of the reaction from, from several people, especially outside the church. Uh, so tonight, what we're going to do is we have a microphone, and what we're primarily doing is five, ten minute-ish, ish, so you know, they go however long they do, uh, talks. And then we want you guys to be able to ask questions. We got the phone number working again this week. My wife made that happen. So if, you know, walking all the way up here is just a little too far, feel free to text it in um, or feel free to come up here and, um, and ask your question. Uh, we're asking for questions, not statements. So we don't want you to come up here and make a whole statement. We just, just a question. 
Um, Chris will cut you off otherwise. <laughs> that guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. I got uh, we, we will not be telling, again, this is our first night. We really want to provide framework just for politics. <coughs> so we um, are not going to be diving in to, to really political issues in the sense of how should one vote uh, or candidates or impeachment processes, stuff like that tonight. Uh, we want you to know um, that we're not experts in this, and we doubt that anyone here is an expert in this. In fact, for the last two weeks, pretty much every spare moment I've had, I've either been reading or listening to things on politics, and if I've learned anything, what I've learned is that we need to have a very soft voice as Christians. It is very, very complex issues when we start getting into politics. And so uh, those are a little bit of the ground rules. So I just want to go uh, give quickly just a reason why we should even care about politics. And then Chris is going to provide kind of a framework for, uh, for how, we, how we look at this world and how we should be thinking about God's kingdom and America and politics. But I just want to start out with giving, I think it's five reasons why we should care about politics. Number one, politics is fundamental to how God reveals himself and presents himself. Uh, from the very beginning, we have God as a sovereign creator ruler. He governs with absolute authority. Uh, he gives his people law. He judges disobedience. In the New Testament, we see the establishment of his kingdom. We see that Jesus is, is the king. He rules the nations with a rod of iron. So from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we have very uh, political type language about rule, about thrones, about judgment, all throughout the Bible. Politics is also fundamental to the Christian life. Uh, many of you know in Philippians chapter 3.20, Paul says, our real, true citizenship is in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says we are ambassadors here on earth. This is all very political type language. We know that we will reign with Jesus on his throne for all of eternity in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, we know that we will also, in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, it says that we will judge the world. Uh, we'll participate in that with Christ. Uh, and if you think about it, really one of the most radical statements that we can say as Christians is that Jesus is king. I mean, that's one of the most radical statements that we can say in this world, that our allegiance of, before anything else is to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Um, Politics carries the power of life and death. Uh, Revelation, or not, Romans chapter 13 talks about how the government has been given the authority by God to carry the sword. Um, politics also provides peace for everyday life. If you remember in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I think that's the, uh, the verse on the top of your handouts, um, it says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul sees very much praying for the government, praying for the king, praying for the rulers, affects the peace in everyday life. Um, politics affects the way we do community. In the Bible, we see that we are made for one another. We're made to be in community. We're made to love one another. Politics uh, is about how community is often structured and how we relate to one another. Uh, if you think about it, it affects how we love, respect, and, and how we think about things like equality. Uh, it affects 
how we think about racism, discrimination, segregation. Uh, it affects how we have compassion on people, on those who are poor, on those who are needy. It affects even how we have leisure because it affects our finances and budgets. Uh, so when we think about politics, it affects many, many things in the world that we live in. And uh, those are just five reasons that we've come up with on why we ought to be interested. Uh, so that's just kind of the intro for the night. Uh, Chris is going to kind of set the big picture framework that, that ought to give us the mindset when we think really about anything in this world. And so I'm just going to hand it over to you. Yeah. Um, well, welcome. Good to have you guys here. Fun, fun night to try to do this. Uh, hopefully we'll have a lot of fun here tonight. And, uh, but I think um, one of the things I was thinking about is that every one of us in this room has a worldview, which means we have a way, a lens through which we view the world. And the, the question is oftentimes is what, is what is that lens? What is the worldview? What is the perspective through which you, you view everything in the world? And as a Christian, we would say we, we want to be those who have a Christian worldview, which means we have a worldview that, that is our lens through which we see is we see the world through God's eyes. We see the world from God's perspective. We have a worldview that is informed by the reality of, of the fact that, that our Bible, our God tells us there's a, there's a God. He created us. Uh, he made us in his image with value and worth. Uh, we, we believe that in, in Genesis, as he made us in his image, we believe that we have fallen and re man rebelled against God. And all the rest of the Bible, the whole story of the Bible, uh, is, is this, this picture, this story of God unfolding his plan of redemption to redeem us back, to purchase us back, to send his son uh, to die on a cross. So that's, a, that's just a, like a really fast, but you could capture the whole story of the Bible through creation, fall, redemption, or, or, and, and then also ultimately uh, re restoration, everything being made new. So, but all of that, is framed in a perspective of seeing who our God is. The Bible constantly reminds us or, or shows us that one of, the, one of the tragedies or the things that's dangerous for us is when we forget God. Like we forget who our God is. We, we, we fail to remind ourselves over and over and over again of the greatness and the glory of our God. And when we do that, we can see this in all the Old Testament prophets. When we do that, it causes us to fall into all kinds of errors and apathies and things that lead us down a very dangerous path. If, if you don't think so, just read the Old Testament, read all the prophets, and you'll see that. And oftentimes the prophets are saying, God's saying through the prophets, you've forgotten me. You've forgotten who I am. So I'm just going to take a moment, and I want to share with you, uh, paint the picture, especially as we think about politics and kings and kingdoms, uh, to remind us who our God is that we might have uh, the, the right lens, in a sense, through which to look at and think about this subject. So one of the things, um, in, in Jeremiah 29, in fact, it was the memory verse this last Sunday for the kids, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, almost all of us probably know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope or hope in a future. And so um, we know that verse. But have you ever looked at the context of the verse? Uh, and paid attention to what is before that. Uh, we always put that, I always say we put that on the mugs and, or on uh, graduation cards and give them to our kids for graduation. Like, and you're like, do you realize what you're saying when you give that to them? <laughs> do you realize the whole context? Let me read the context. Um, because it really helps us frame a picture here. God has, Israel has forgotten God. 
And God has sent them into exile through Babylon, the wicked nation Babylon, the wicked king Nebuchadnezzar. And these exiles are in exile in Babylon, and God tells them this. Listen to what he says in verse 4. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. And listen to this. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, and on and on it goes all the way down to 29.11. Isn't that an incredible verse? He's telling them they're living in a wicked nation under a wicked king in a wicked city, and he says to them, seek the welfare of that city in which you live, because in its welfare will be your welfare. If Lacey Washington prospers, you will prosper. If there's peace in Lacey Washington, you and I will be at peace. And therefore, we ought to be those, no matter who the, those are in authority, we ought to be those who seek the welfare and the good and the prosperity of our cities, of our nation. And so I think that's an interesting and instructive way that God is saying to them, in a wicked place, under wicked rulers, pray that that is a place that prospers and does really well. Pray that those wicked kings do really well. Because if they do well, you'll do well. It's pretty crazy. That's one thought. Uh, but it gets even more. So in Daniel, uh, I, think is, is I think what really helps us frame this, in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Again, the exiles, these Daniel and, and the Israelites are in exile in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in that, he can't find anybody to interpret his dream. And he's going to kill all the wise men in, in the nation uh, if, if somebody can't interpret this dream. And so Daniel says, uh, I know a God, the God who can do this. And so he sets a time. And at night, Daniel is praying to God, saying, God, for the sake of all the people who will be killed, please basically give me the interpretation for this dream. That's, that's my paraphrase of what Daniel's praying. And God does. God answers him gives him the interpretation, and here's Daniel's prayer. And I think this is probably one of the most instructive things for us uh, as we think about this subject tonight, to be honest. He says this, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might, for he changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep secrets and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and, he, in, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and you have made known to me what we ask of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. But did you catch that? Daniel in a wicked place is very much aware that God is the one who sets the kings in their place, all kings, and he's the one who removes kings. Our God is a God who is absolutely sovereign over all affairs of history. He's at work in all of them. 
And Daniel is acknowledging that to God. He's, he's praying to God and acknowledging, you're the God who sets up kings. You're the God who takes kings down. He goes on in Daniel several times here. And ironically, as, the, as all these affairs unfold, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar has more dreams and more things happen, and God rescues Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at one point from the fiery furnace. And, and this is what the king says. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says about God. He says, for his, for God's dominion, that is his, his rulership, his authority, is, is an everlasting dominion, has no end and no beginning. God is completely rules over all of history. And he says, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation to generation. You could just go on. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. None can stay his In other words, no one can thwart the purposes of God. And listen, and say to him, why have you done this? No one can thwart the purposes of God, and in one sense, none of, us, none of us is even in a position before an almighty and all-powerful God to say, what have you done, God? How dare you? That's, that's, that's what the king, a wicked king, says in light of what God has done in rescuing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so even Nebuchadnezzar begins to realize that this God is the God who rules over all things. Um, I love what he says one more, one more thing here. He says, uh, whenever Nebuchadnezzar was made to eat grass, he was banished. He says, um, he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar's son, and Daniel's saying to Nebuchadnezzar's son, unlike your father who was humbled by God, you, Belshazzar, your son that's now ruling, you have not been humbled like your father. And what did he say? He says, he was fed like an ox, his body was wet with the dew of heaven until God subjected Nebuchadnezzar to these trials until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of man and sets over him whom he will. That's pretty pointed. And he says then to Belshazzar, you have not yet been humbled like your father to recognize who the true king is, which is God. Um, and so, so let, me, let me just say a few points from these. What we see in scripture is that God is the ruler, God is sovereign over kings, and he is sovereign over kingdoms. And not only that, but we also see that God is a God who uses kings, even wicked, wretched kings. If you read your Bible, you will see God uses very wicked kings and wicked kingdoms to accomplish his purposes. He will accomplish his purposes, and not even the most powerful and wretched and wicked kings and wicked rulers and kingdoms None of them can thwart the purposes of God. No one can stay his hand. He will have his way. And what we also see in that is that God is working out his purposes in the lives of ordinary people and in the lives of kings and governments and wars and all kinds of things that are going on. He is constantly at work uh, accomplishing his purposes. And what, what do we find then, to, to wrap this part up and then you'll throw some questions, you can throw a question out. In Romans chapter 13, the apostle Paul very much in line with what Daniel is saying about God and kings and rulers. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. It's a pretty powerful statement when you're talking about living in Rome, under Roman rule, under wicked kings. He says, for there is no authority 
Catch that. There's no authority that, it, that exists on this earth except from God. And those that exist, that is those who are in authority that exist, have been instituted by God. Um, that's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? I I'm, I'm sure that, I hope anyway, you feel a little uncomfortable with that, right? It's a little unsettling. But what Paul's saying is that the only authority that exists on this earth is the authority by which God allows to exist, period. He's the one who gives authority. He's also the one who takes away. What did Daniel say? I'm the one who, God's the one who puts kings in place, and he's the one who will take them away. God is the one who does this. Now, let me say something really controversial, which will be good for opening up conversation. Um, you and I, in other words, don't get the choice of which king we get to submit to. That's pretty incredible. You don't get to say, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly instructive thing for us to recognize that, that we don't get to pick and choose the king. We, we, we don't get to say, well, if the king is bad, and which king is not, but if the king is bad, then I don't have to, I don't have to submit to him. That's, that's not what Paul says. There's a reason for authority that God sets up over us, and there's a reason why God also takes it away. God's the one who's sovereign over that. And here's what's comforting um, for us, is to recognize in that that our God is in control, and he's working these things for our good. Romans 13, I'm not gonna read it, plays that out for us. And what we recognize at the end of all of this is simply to say what we saw in Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is not of this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven, right? We belong to another kingdom. But understand, even though there's a ki the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man, these are not like two equal groups going at it, right? God's kingdom rules over all. His reign and his rule is over all. He rules the kingdom of man. He's, he's the one who's sovereign over all of that. We can take comfort in that as Christians. And we are those who belong to that kingdom. We belong to his kingdom by faith in Christ. And therefore, as, as citizens of that kingdom, we are here in this kingdom, living in the kingdom of man, and we are to represent the values of who? Of God, right? We're to represent his purposes, his priorities. We're to display his character, right? We're supposed to become imitators of God as dearly loved children. This is the, the, the demeanor by which we are to approach every single subject, including politics. And this is why when we talk about lowering the temperature, we ought to be the ones in the place to do that, right? Because we have a sovereign king who rules over kings and kingdoms, and we can be guaranteed that God is at work in all of them, even the most wicked on this earth. God is at work in and through all of it. He, he's doing for our good and for, our, for his purposes ultimately, which is for our good. And so we can be confident in that. So I'll stop right there. That's a lot. That's a lot to chew on. I, I gave him five minutes. Oh, no, he gave me, he gave me 10. Or 15. I took 12. <laughs> um, questions, thoughts, just on that. Yeah. No. So he said, what if Jesus was here? Would, would Jesus, Jesus vote to kill babies? Yeah. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the answer would be no.
the the difficulty is is that we we are here as Christians living in a secular kingdom, um, and and you know there's questions on are you are you issue do you do you vote based upon an issue, vote based upon a partisan or based upon a candidate, um, and those are complex issues just right there, and, and which issue do you choose? Uh, some people feel very comfortable to reduce down to, to one issue. Some people do not feel that freedom to be able to do that. Um, some people would look at the abortion and, and try to uh, view that as, as different than the, the, the killing of unborn children. They would view that in a different light. And what we have to realize is that that is the realm in which we live in a secular kingdom, not in a godly kingdom. So, of course, we know what Christ would do. Uh, of course, we know what his kingdom will do. Um, the difficulty is, is in, in these kingdoms and, and how do we vote and how do we approach these issues, that's where it gets very complex. Um, we do what we can with what we have. We yes, do. we do, yeah. It's, it's also, too, we'll, we'll get to it a little later. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about issues in the sense of, like, how do you understand certain issues and, and uh, straight line issues and jagged line issues, we'll call it. And I'll, I'll, I won't get ahead of us, but I'll just no, say yeah. it's coming. We're going to talk That's a little bit about That's one of the most helpful things that, that, yeah, the straight line jagged thing was very helpful for yeah, me. It'll kind of get to that. We'll get to that. Other questions? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with that one. I think yeah, go for it. <laughs> well, I think I, I think um, we have to first, and I didn't. I didn't oh, wait, do you want to repeat the question for everyone? So, how do how do can we legislate Christian values? Basically, is that can we can can we legislate those things, and should we? Um, and I think the thing I didn't get to that I had in my the end of mine is um, we we have to wrestle with like where where is our hope. Where is the hope of the world, but where is our hope as Christians? And uh, I don't think, uh, we, we know this, when we say our hope is in Christ, right? Our hope is in, in him, in him, uh, in us being new creations and being made in the image of God, or being, being formed in the image of Christ. I think that uh, we know that legislation will not change the heart of men, right? Like no one's, no one's going to become a Christian and truly be regenerate because of legislation. We can't legislate that. Uh, no piece of legislation, I don't think, to date, you could, you could challenge me on this, has ever changed people's hearts. It's, it's governed their, their behaviors because with the threat of jail and fines and you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but it doesn't change a heart. We know that only the gospel can change a person's heart. Only the power of the spirit. Now, that being said, I would say that doesn't mean we don't fight. Like, like Jeremiah 29, 11, or 29 verses 4 through 11 talks about promoting the welfare of our community, right? And I do, that doesn't mean that, that we should not fight for just laws, right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't be somehow engaged in encouraging having just laws and 
and uh, rules for our community and our country. Like, that's not something we should be disengaged from. We should want to see Christian values in legislation, in legislators. We should want that to be the case. But we don't put our hope there because we know that ultimately that will not uh, change people's hearts, only the gospel. So that'd be a, that'd be a fast let answer. Me, there. Let me give a, another way of answering that one. Uh, you know, when we're, we're, I have this later on too, when we, when we look at God's word, we need to see who is he talking to? Um, what covenant are we in also? Uh, when we start thinking of what we read about sexual immorality in the Bible, and we understand that as the church, like we're going into 1 Corinthians and our parts, that we are to discipline, we would, in a sense, punish all forms of sexual immorality within the church. Is that to be the role of the government? Should the government discipline all forms of sexual immorality? You know, I, I think that would be a stretch. Um, I, I don't know that we see that anywhere. So one thing is we realize is that when we're in God's word, oftentimes we're looking at authority given to individuals. We're looking at authorities given to the, to the families, like fathers with, it, with their children. We're looking at authority within the church. We're looking at um, authority within government. Now the thing is, when we get to government, you got Romans 13, you got 1 Timothy 2, you got 1 Peter 2, and it really starts trickling off from there on, on what exactly is specifically spoken to uh, two governments in this world. Uh, so does, um, there was a guy, Jonathan Lehman, he asked the question, he said it's something like, does God rule over all people in the same way? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. In the same way that God rules over the church, a particular people in covenant with him, does he rule over other people? Now we know God rules over all things, but does he rule in the same way and his laws that he has imposed upon his people who have covenanted with him, are we to impose those on people who are not in covenant with God? Those are questions to wrestle with. Uh, those are things to think about when you're in an issue like that. Um, someone texted in a question and then we probably need to probably move on. Um, many countries have laws against owning a Bible, so are Christians with Bibles in those countries being disobedient to Romans 13? Yeah. You I said that all people are to be submissive yeah. to authorities, and again, uh, I'll sorry. let you jump on this, but let me yeah. just give a first yeah. caveat to it. When, when, when reading God's Word and, and asking a question like that, uh, we, we might ask also, is is Paul's intention here, as he writes Romans 13, to say that we are without question to submit to all governing authorities? Is that his point? Yeah. Well, I think when we work our way through Romans, we're seeing that that's not the point that he's getting to. But as Christians who are to be living sacrifices in this world, what does that look like? We submit to authorities. But yet, if we were to go to like the book of, well, I'm, I'm going to, I said you could answer it. I'm no, sorry, that's right. go no, ahead. No, you're on a roll. No, I, no, think I know, I, but no, go no, ahead. No, it is actually, um, so, so even going back to Daniel, so in the book of Daniel is probably the best example, right, that we see this sense of, that God is sovereign, he sets up kings, and he takes kings down, and yet, and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all the exiles, they're submitting to those authorities. That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 is really calling them to do. They're submitting to those authorities. However, there comes a line, right? 
We submit, we submit to the authorities that God has placed over us, but so far as it doesn't, it's not, they're not asking us to do something that's in total contradiction to our faith, meaning, getting back to Daryl's point, uh, you know, meaning abortion, or if, if we, or, but take, it, take Daniel, for instance, uh, what did they say? Uh, bow down to the statue and worship it or die. Well, Daniel and or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, I can't do that. I mean, they were, you know, they were, they were functioning well underneath the authority of Nebuchadnezzar, who's a wicked king. But there was a line. And so they, they, they weren't mean about it. They weren't nasty. They weren't like out writing letters against the government, I'm guessing. You know what I mean? Like literally, we, we have to think this stuff through. They just, they just said, I can't do that. And they were willing to die for it. Right? Their, their, their faith... And God was, was strong enough, they were willing to say, no, we, we would rather die, right? And if God saves us, fine, they said, but if not, we would rather die. And we see the same in Acts chapter 4. The apostles oh, yeah, yeah. are arrested, and the Pharisees say, do not preach Christ. And they say, well, whether it's right to obey man or not, we will not disobey God. And they, they preach Christ. Yep. Um, so those are, what we see, there are times that Christians, believers in God, have purposely and intentionally uh, defied those governments. Now, of course, other questions would be, well, how can you defy governments? Which that takes us into many more questions. But, but we see they do when it comes to, uh, will we disobey the clear commands of Scripture? And regularly we come back to uh, Christians within God's word, what we see, stand on that and say, no, we will not submit to man at the cost of not submitting to God. Um, let's move on one though. more thing just to say yes. I, it, it is a, it's an issue too of like when we talk about authority there's God's authority and then there's government and God's authority is the highest right so we obey him above all but he's instituted authority here that we also obey so long as it doesn't trump this and one more yeah. that's in the text that the people yes that's a great example that's right yeah, and don't whine. Peggy has no, it's spoken. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it, it really, uh, I do want to say, though. Just no, let's go to, on. I, I have to say no, one more thing about, oh, yes. I have ben. To, I'm going to enter in the word complex. When, when you talk about, though, when you talk about um, sometimes saying no to, to governments that are they're asking you to do something against your faith, those are also complex, right? That's not a very, that's, it's simple for us to say that. But that becomes very complex in your individual life versus your neighbor sitting beside you and the way you do that, like there's, it becomes complex. If we could talk a lot about that, but that's a, it's, it's not They'll just be on simple. faith and politics night number two. Yes. Uh, it, it's not real simple, but yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Let me, uh, oh, we'll do it later. If you have other questions about it, we, we would love just to stay and talk <laughs> more about, um, real quick, uh, I want to talk about the the inseparability of religion and politics. Right now we live in a culture which says uh, you d should not bring any type of religious uh, belief system into the political realm. In fact, there's different ways that that's communicated. There is uh, absolute separation, which uh, a guy named Richard Niehaus, a uh, Newhouse, uh, called the naked public square, if you've heard something like that, where there is no religion at all into the public square. It's private only, don't ever bring it out of your house. Then there is selective separationism. Oftentimes, that's more directed to conservative-type Christianity. It's really, uh, characteristically, it's not 
directed towards more liberal type views. Um, it, it would be more against uh, Protestant and, and uh, conservative Christianity. Uh, but, um, you know, the thing to understand is when we start coming into religion, we're looking at worldviews, right? We're looking at things that shape the way we look at everything else. And especially when we come into Christianity, it's, it's, it's not just a bias that we have. And we need to realize that, because I'll talk about biases in a moment. Christianity isn't a bias. When we become Christians, what does God's word say about us? We are new creations. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, We've been born again. Philippians says that we now have the mind of Christ. So we're completely new in the way that we think, in the way that we act, our allegiance, our citizenship, all of those kind of things. So when we're coming into the public, public square, this isn't something that we're able to, to check at the door. It's, it's literally who we are. And that's really what religions really do. It shapes its adherence in everything that they do. In fact, that's why atheism is also religion. It's a view of who God is or who God is not, and it affects how you see and how you act in the world. Um, but we need to realize that everyone comes with biases. Uh, and let me just run through some biases. Uh, family culture, history, and religious traditions, uh, largely. And so these are generalizations I'm going to give you. There are always exceptions to generalizations. Largely, Catholics and Jews have been long-held commitments to the Democratic Party. So if you grew up within those, you very well might just be Democrat. The Great Depression caused many people to despise big government, thus brought about many Republicans in that way. So just history and, and family life experience will affect the way that you look and see things. Regions also affect things. You go into the Northeast, what are you largely going to find? Largely liberalism. If you come out to the Northwest, you find that also. If you go into Utah, what do you find? In a heavy Mormon area. Very, very conservative uh, religion, or uh, outlook on politics. Traditions of Western civilization. The Enlightenment, largely uh, reacting to warring religions and discoveries of science, uh, uh, sought to free itself from all types of religion. Uh, race, class, gender, marital status. That'll affect the way you look at things. Certain races generally will vote in a certain way. Uh, minorities often will vote in certain ways. Uh, the poor often do not participate in politics. It is said that white males tend to be more Republican. It is said that white women tend to be more liberal. And again, those are generalizations that I've read through several different books. Um, there are, of course, exceptions to those. Peer groups will very much affect the way you think, see things. If Robert was here, uh, who lives in academia, academia is full of those who are much more of a liberal type mindset. So if you live within that, you very likely will begin to share a mindset like that. I'm not necessarily saying that's, that's Robert, which you can talk to him about his political view, but I'm not trying to imply that about him. Um, uh, life experience. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. Chris and I were... Uh, thinking about issues like immigration. Um, whether you're for it or not, if you grew up in this country, let's just say as a, as a, as a white male, just to give some context, you're going to think of immigration a certain way. But what if you have someone who did immigrate? How do they think of immigration? What if they legally immigrated and then they became um, legal? Or what if they came legal? Just you might have different... Did my microphone go off? 
No, it's on. No, it's on? Okay. It's just ringing. Um, you might have different views on immigration just because of life experience. Um, the point, and I think in understanding biases and understanding the culture that we live in, is we do live in a very increasingly secular society. I, I don't think that's... You didn't come here to hear that, right? Like we all know that the society we live in is secular and probably will continue to increase at some type of steady rate. Uh, we also know that if we begin to bring in biblical type language into the public square, especially into political conversations, what is going to happen, especially if we're surrounded by many uh, liberal type people or people who hold a total separation or a partial type separationism when it comes to religion? They're going to push back on us right away. Why? Because you said the word God, because you said the word Bible. It doesn't matter what else you said. As soon as you mention those things, they're going to push back. So one thing for us to realize is that if our goal is to, is to make disciples, is to share the truth of the gospel, and if we know that by, as soon as we mention, especially regarding politics, the Bible and uh, in religious type language that automatically people are going to be pushing against us, resisting and not agreeing with anything that we have because we're mentioning those religious type words. Then if we try to have a conversation later with them about the Bible and about the gospel and actually about salvation, and we come and we say, well, God says, and we use that same language with God says and with other political issues, they very might well just turn a deaf ear and have no desire to hear because you've already shown them that, uh, that the political, that, that religious lines are drawn on political lines. And what happens is that religious, um, our, our Christianity can get fused with political positions. And that's very dangerous at that moment. So I say that so that we would just simply think about how we talk about political issues and what language are we using. I would say many times um, arguing from a common grace standpoint would be very helpful. For example, um, I, I think just on abortion is one, and I feel comfortable with abortion because as you'll see later, we'll say that's more of a straight line issue. Um, we would, if you were here on sermon, preached that, or here on Sunday, heard the sermon, we preached that we believe abortion is wrong. It's the murder of an unborn child. It's the murder of a child made in the very image of God, and all made in the image of God have value. So I can make that from a very biblical uh, uh, an argument based upon the Bible. That's what we did on Sunday, largely. But if I do that on Monday in the marketplace, is that going to carry much weight? The argument might be better to be made on what we know of common grace. We all value life. And so we go at it from a different perspective for the purpose of still being able to communicate the gospel to them. Now, I'm not saying we, we don't ever bring the Bible into politics. I'm not trying to say that, but I'm saying we ought to be cautious with how we use God's word because the world is very much fusing uh, Christianity with politics because of often how the church has communicated about it. In fact, here's a quote that I, I came up with, or I didn't come up with, I read. 
Politicized religion reduces religious claims to this worldly dynamics. Instead of salvation for all, politicized religions offer salvation only to those on the right side of political fault lines. Instead of salvation freely offered by God in Christ, politicized religion offers salvation to those who work for polit particular political causes. Instead of salvation freely offered and received, politicized religion often tells coercion to accept its claims. So that's just the idea that we need to understand in the society that we live in, by mentioning God's word, connecting it to political views, they're often going to say that's what Christianity is. And because so many people hold political views so incredibly dear to their hearts, as if every issue is one that we're going to die over, then when you want to bring up Christianity and actually a gospel-type conversation, they've already written that off because it goes against everything they're willing to die over. Does that yeah. kind of make sense? Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things that, in all the reading that I've done in the last two weeks, which I will tell you, I've not read a whole lot prior to the last two weeks, but spent a lot of time reading and listening to things. The, the danger that we have, or, or the way society wants to hear the way we talk about religion. We just need to be very careful with that. Yeah. Um, so let's go to a few questions just on that, and then we'll go to something else. Yes, Daryl. And, and what's good, and, and what, what I'll, Which is right, that's the and, and in many ways, we could argue the good in both of those. And, and I think one thing we, we need to begin to, to think about when we're entering into politics, and, and even into religion, uh, if you're going to enter into a conversation where you disagree with someone, can you state their argument in the way that they would state it. If you can't, then just know that you don't actually understand their argument. And that works extremely well in the religious circle. Before you wanna debate on someone about justification, or before you know, we wanna to talk to a Mormon about salvation, or, or Islam, or, or many other views. If we don't understand their position, just be very careful about over-characterizing what it is that they believe. We want to make sure we state it the way they would so we actually are knowing what they're thinking, why they're thinking it, and, and anyways, so you know what I'm saying. There's, uh, a, there's a very good uh, quote that kind of set me back several years ago. Somebody said, uh, Chris, it's better to understand than to be understood. And, and what, that, what that person was saying to me uh, is that you, you need to first listen and ask really good questions to understand where a person's coming from and why they're coming from that place before you then begin to speak, right? And uh, I, think, I think that's partly why, uh, why the debate gets really off base because if a certain person comes to you and says a certain word in a certain way, you already think you understand why they say that. You have a, um, being a chaplain, You've, yeah. you've experienced the, the need to be delicate and, again, with the purpose 
of our mission as Christians. Do you want to well, share we, that one? Well, we have to understand, we have to ask ourselves, what's the most important thing? And the most important thing is that I get a chance to show, model, and share the gospel with people, right? I want, I want to have a hearing. And so I need to conduct my life in such a way that, that, that uh, there's a respect there. So I have to, have to live a Christ-like life and pray God does that through me. But also, it comes out in what we say. You know, if, if uh, uh, even in a conversation, there might be several people around, and I've had people come to me and ask me or start co- having a conversation about a political thing, I will divert that conversation every time to something else. Not because I may, I may agree with the guy who said this and I know where he's going and I'm, I may be able to just jump in and go, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you there. But the five other people listening, uh, they may not agree with that, that political position at all. And so if I'm not paying attention to what's going around me, I can make a, one statement to this guy about something like that and I've just killed my opportunity to ever have a chance for the gospel with these five people. And so to me, the political conversation with this guy is not worth it. Now, you're not saying don't ever enter into political conversations. No, no, I'll have the conversation, but I'll be very careful. Uh, or, or it's more one-on-one. Like I might be sitting with, I've had those individual conversations with people. When they ask me a direct question, it's just us. Sure, I'll have those conversations very much, and I'll talk with clarity about what I think, and, because they're genuinely asking me, and I'm genuinely asking them. But, but we have to be careful, too. I, I, I'm really cautious because even that one-on-one thing might be an opportunity for that person just to, just to pin me into something, right? You know, I mean, people, this, this is the culture we live in, right? And so I'm just always trying to just pray for God to give me wisdom as when to say anything at all about it and when to not because the number one thing is I want to have, the, I want to have a hearing of the gospel. I want to have that chance when it comes, and it does come. But if, but if we, if we I, I, a better example is as a pastor years ago, as a man, I can say this because he's in South Dakota, he's passed away now, I did his funeral, but he, his name is Don, and he was radically the opposite of any political views I have at all, like everything, and yet uh, he came to my church, I got to know him, I'd sit in his trailer house, and we would talk, and he would just talk about everything that really internally, I was like, ah, you know, just like, you know, you've had those conversations, right? We're just dying inside. And I would just be like, well, that's interesting. Why do you think that? And I would just ask him questions like, tell me a little bit more. Why, why did you come to that perspective? And I never really let on that I totally disagreed with him at all. And, and God opened up an opportunity and to share the gospel with him. I shared the gospel with him. Uh, he passed away. And uh, God, God used him in the little two-year window in our church in a big way, and then he, he died uh, of cancer. And, but, but like that to me, like that taught me something because I was really afraid. I knew if I enter this political conversation and disagree with him adamantly about what he's saying, before I get a chance to share the gospel, he's, he's going to shut me off, right? And we need to realize that because of the culture that we live in. We're in a very hypercritical, hypersensitive, hyperpolarized culture. We're looking at reasons to be offended at people. Mm-hmm. And no longer, and, and when we are offended, and when we see that someone has a different view, especially political, what we're understanding is that it's not that, equality is not even really seen. It's, it's we're against one another at this moment. That's how culture is seeing one another. Uh, the, the impeachment process, a beautiful picture of that, just parties against one another. You know, for whatever view you have of the impeachment, you just see Republican Democrat just attacking. 
and stalemating one another. And, and we see that across the board, just in so many type of positions, and so many views nowadays. Uh, to disagree, to not affirm someone in this society is to not approve of them and to be against them. At least that's how mm -hmm. the world largely is taking it. So again, what, let me just qualify. We're not saying don't talk about politics. We're not saying don't talk about the Bible in politics. But we just need to be very careful. And what is our primary objective? What is our hope? What is our desire? Is it that we win an argument? Is that they share a similar political view? Or is it that they know Christ? And it's not always either or, but where are we willing to, to try to place you know, all, all the weight on? So anyways, it's let's good, just go to a few it's questions. It's good too, just one more thought that if you throw in. I'm trying to let it's, them it's, talk. I know, it, Acts 17. See what I have here? Read Acts 17, <laughs> right? Because Paul, Paul had a starting place in Acts 17 to sharing the gospel, and he started with something in their culture, right? He, he appealed to something that's totally secular, and he began there. In other words, he found some common ground and, and it's good for us to find common ground, which is what Nick was saying there, is that we find the thing in the conversation that we can agree on. And there's always something in the opposite views of what you think. If you listen hard enough, there's tons of stuff we actually agree on. Even in very things that you might think are just totally whacked out, we can find some common ground. Start there and then pray for God to lead you to the gospel. Question. So what's the question on anything on regarding well, any of that? That's actually good. Um, I think that's where I was, I was kind of getting at a little bit ago. What's that? Read, oh, when Christians start to talk about or think about protesting, um, yeah, how should we think about that? Is that kind of when we're thinking about protesting? Um, I, that's actually what I was getting at with um, these, these issues, even when we stand against government and certain things, it becomes complex because individuals will decide what that what that looks like differently, right? In Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ will say, some will say it's ridiculous to go protest. Uh, others will say it's absolutely what we should do. And they'll feel very convinced of that and the other one will feel very convinced of that. And that's why I say it's complex. And again, we, we have to be careful that we don't draw straight lines in that kind of stuff and say, well, if you're not willing to go do this, to do it this way, then you're not really, you don't, you don't really stand against this or stand for that, you know, like, so we have to be really careful. Uh, and so those are, those are tricky questions. And, and I, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's wrong to go protest. Uh, I know, uh, you know, good godly people who would, who are very much against abortion, who would stand in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I was a pastor, uh, go and stand and pray in front of that clinic, uh, as a means of, of standing against abortion and praying for people. Um, that, was a, that was something they felt very convicted of doing. Others, others uh, dealt with that issue in a different way. And I don't think either one of them are wrong. And so that's where we have to just be careful. But well, that comes back to what we've talked about, the complexity of things. Yeah. Um, we can agree on a, on, on a position, but disagree on strategy. That's right. And, and so that's always good to remember also. We might agree with people on certain political positions, but disagree a whole lot about how we actually carry it out. Here's another question. When is it okay to tell someone of a different political bias they are wrong about a particular issue? Where is the line between being gentle and watering down the truth? Hmm. That's a great question. Yeah. You know, I, 
we'll get to that in a moment, again, going to straight lines and jagged line issues, so I'm going to kind of push that back a little bit. Um, but it, again, when we talked about this, we wanted to, to bring up the idea that when we get into the, the weeds of a lot of political issues, it gets incredibly complex. So we're not using that and using this word complex as a way to dismiss your questions or, or anything. Like, if anything, what we want to show is the softness that we need to have. Like, like again, that, that's what I've learned more than anything. Um, I was talking to, to Rose and Donna earlier, and they're like, you're, you, you asked me what I thought about tonight. I was like, I'm excited. And they said something about, you know what to say? And it's like, I know what to say here. In, in the sense of, of how we can begin framing things, but to getting in conversations with certain issues, they're so incredibly complex. And, and we'll get to more of that in a few it's, moments on, on why that is. Uh, it's hard to say, you're wrong, you're right. What is the basis of that? Now again, on certain issues like abortions, you're wrong. And, and willing, willing to throw down on that one pretty hard, draw a line, this is why I see that. But on, on healthcare, on government housing, on how to balance the budget, what level of information do I have to make those decisions? I am getting, again, one thing we must realize is when you're listening to whatever your favorite news station is, you're getting one bias. Now you might say, well, I listen to three. Well, do you listen to three of the same kind? How many different kinds are you listening to? And after you listen to them all, do you realize that they're all wrong and that you're called to synthesize all that they say and realize there's still another element out there of information you just simply don't know? So then to say, I have the authority or the right just to simply say, well, you're wrong. How arrogant do I think I am that I fully understand the issue where I live at this time? And I know for me, I do not listen to 19 different, you know, news stations and all. If I get to one, I'm really happy, you know. Uh, it's, it's also important to, to uh, I think we have a trouble, this is, we have to be careful that we don't feel as though it's our job to correct every person. Like it's our job to go around when someone seems to say what we think is wrong. Our job is not to correct everything. If you're in a conversation um, and you're not okay with the uncomfortableness of all kinds of things that you may disagree with, like if you feel like it's your job to correct them, then you, you're going to get into lots of debates. I've never seen a person ever saved come, like actually see the love of Christ in a, in a full-on I think that's a challenge debate. Chris has just put out to you all. Go find someone, debate them today, and give the gospel at the same yeah, point. Yeah, see yeah. what happens. It's, it's a... <laughs> And, but I think it gets back to understanding, yeah. like, instead of, instead of me trying to correct them, right, it, it, it's me trying to understand and pay attention and actually care for them to the point where God will give me, give me he will give you, he will give you the right in to, to really share what you think. I think sometimes if we listen well enough, it gives, it'll, it'll earn a hearing. Like, there'll be, if you've listened to them and actually paid attention and appreciated their point of view, even if you absolutely agree with it, it will actually win you the opportunity to say, well, you know what I think about that? And you can give them a Christian worldview. You don't have to even answer the question on some policy. You can say, you know what? Here's how I see the world. You know, I know we're talking about this. I, I, believe, I believe there's a God, you know, and, 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 here, and so, so kind of hear me out, you know, like be apologetic. Hear me out just a minute. I, I really believe there's a God 
who made everything, and he made us in his image. And you just start going, and I believe that's why everything, including us, has worth and dignity and value. And I believe that, that human beings were made uh, to display the goodness of a good God who's provided for us and loves. Like, you just, you just go through, and you could, you could say all the way from Genesis to Revelation in two to three minutes, right? And, and then just go, what do you think about that? Just let it go, right? It's not your job to go beyond that, right? Well, and, I, and I think like what you're communicating also in that is a humility as we go about po- politics. That is, I think, one thing, uh, not only just because of the complexity, but because as Christians, our primary hope is that we do get to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, our primary hope is that, is that we do get to lead these people to Jesus. Um, because when we look at the government and we look at politics, we must realize that we're seeing a picture of fallen humanity right there. Well, let's understand that. And as the world wrestles with politics, let's not act surprised at the views and the legislation they want to bring about. Of course it's going to be fallen. Every aspect of our government, even the positions that you agree on, are to some degree fallen in this world. And none of them are perfect. None of them are right. Um, Our government isn't Christian. You know, if you even think about the democratic worldview, one thing is just really interesting as I was reading about it. Think about it. In democracy, why is it that those in government have authority? Because who gives it to them? Because who? Well, that's the ultimate one, but let's not do that one. <laughs> Lynn wins. Think, think from the other worldview, the non- <laughs> think, the from non- like, <laughs> think from a democratic worldview. It's because the governed... By the people, we give it. Now, is that even Christian? Is that why God rules? Is that why God rules? Does God get his rulership because we go, all right, God, you get it. No. So, I mean, now, again, that's not to say democracy is bad. I think democracy has proven itself fairly well here in America. It's lasted for over 200 years. Things are going well, especially in comparison with many other type of governmental systems. I think we... um, uh, Prefer, yes. I, was, I, was yes. I couldn't remember the prefix there, <laughs> prefer a democratic system, but it's not perfect. And so let's just remember, whatever, whatever political issue we're talking about, it's a picture of fallen humanity. Yep. Um, here are, let me get into this next one, because I think this next one begins to open up more cans of worms, but it, it fleshes out some of the things that you guys have been asking about, and and Ben and Ben and Chris will answer them all perfectly. Um, okay, so how are we to maximize our gospel witness? Um, number one, and we kind of already talked about this, but we're not politicians. Uh, we have limited information. Let's just remember that always. If you watch Fox, CNN, whatever, you have limited information. None of us are in those actual conversations where all this is taking place. We're getting everything third hand, second hand, fourth hand, however many hands away. That's what we're getting it. Um, and remember, we need to synthesize all the information that we get. So if we're going to engage, it's best to listen to different and realize that they're both biased and it's somewhere here in the middle. Um, issues are complex. Now, again, we've used that word uh, a lot, but, but here's a good analogy or at least a, a good picture word. Uh, think of junk drawers. If you go home, everyone has a junk drawer, right? You have that drawer, it's usually in the kitchen, you know, you open it up, it's got scissors in it, 
paper in it, glue in it, lunch meat in it, like everything else, right? Hopefully not lunch meat. <laughs> Old lunch meat. <laughs> that's, that's a really bad thing to have. If you have kids, that's true, actually. Yeah, you should come to our house. That's where we put our, it doesn't last long. Um, we have a ton of things in this junk drawer. And so if you ask me, what do I think about the things in that junk drawer? Well, I like a lot of them. Some of them, I have no clue why they're there. So now let's just take that and bring that over to pick a topic, immigration. Um, what do you think about immigration? Are you for it? Well, wait a minute. Did you just take the complexity of immigration and narrow it down to a yes and no question? Do you know how much stuff is in that junk drawer? Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm saying there? Like, there's so many things, and you and I might agree on a lot of the stuff in there, but other things we're going to disagree on. And so what, what Chris has already brought about is we need to ask good questions because if someone says, what do you think about immigration? What do you think about health care? What do you think about uh, low-income housing? I, I, what, what do you think about it? What particular aspect of it are you asking about? I mean, if you're going to engage in it, know what the actual question is. And, and I think that's where we just have to be really good at asking those questions because there are so, there's so much involved in it. And we could be talking about very different issues even within the same drawer. Um, so anyways, so that was helpful for me uh, kind of coming into that. When we're thinking about, um, especially God's word and as Christians, and thinking about how do we engage politics, it's better to think of the Bible like a constitution rather than case law. Um, the case law is, is the rules for daily life, like tax rates, speed limit, housing codes. It's, it's how you live on, on, a, on a very ground you know, level. But the constitution is what shapes life. It's what shapes the rules that make the rules. That's often what the Bible is doing. It's not telling us... Um, it's not establishing, you know, what we need to think about with trade policy, CO2 emissions, and public education, right? <laughs> like, it doesn't actually address any of those issues on a ground level, um, but it does give us things to think about in a much bigger level on how do we think about creation, how do we understand that creation is made by God, that we're called to steward it. Like, those are other things that we could wrestle with in those areas, um, so again, we need to realize that, yes, the Bible is the book in which all political activity will be judged, but it doesn't give us the details about how we're to think about every little detail um, or about every political issue in a very detailed way. That's going to be areas that we can wrestle with. Um, so we, we need to, again, remember uh, what authority is God's word talking about in this moment? Is it talking about individual authority? Is it talking about church authority? Is it talking about authority within the family? Is it talking about government authority? And that's where a lot of wisdom takes place. And, and I would say wisdom that usually involves other people. So I don't mean just, you know, if you go home and think a lot about it, you might get the right answer, maybe, and that, that'd be great. But probably rubbing with other people uh, on their ideas is where we're going to better understand, okay, with this framework that we have of God's word, how do we think about trade policies? How do we think about CO2 emissions? Um, and then we're going to come to jagged lines versus straight lines. And so we, we've already kind of mentioned this. Uh, 
Areas that we're going to draw the line on and stand firm on are going to probably be more straight line issues, issues that we can go from God's word to public policy in a straight line. I would argue there are very, very few. Majority of issues are going to be very jagged, meaning it's not clear, meaning you're going to say, okay, we go from scripture this way, and someone else is going to go, well, we go from this way. And someone else comes from this way. And that goes back to where we talked earlier about maybe sometimes a lot of these biases that we have that we've just grown up in or been because of how we've been shaped. Um, so here's just a, a couple examples of what, what I would say. I, I won't say timberlines. Well, I guess I could. <laughs> I feel comfortable on these issues. <laughs> um, uh, but I would say abortion is one of those straight line issues. Um, now, the reason I, I would say something like that is I'd go back to Genesis 1. Uh, we're all made in the image of God. Um, I, I would go to a text like that or to Genesis 9 where we see that anyone who kills, uh, um, uh, for all who sheds blood, how does that go? For everyone who sheds blood, lo- blood will be required. Those, that is God making a covenant with man. All man. Not Israel. Not just the church. But all of men. And so those are where I can see a good straight line issue coming straight over. Um, marriage also between a male and a female, I would say would be a straight, a straight line issue. I can come over and go right back to Genesis, where we're, uh, Genesis 1, where we're looking at creation, we're looking at humanity in general, and we're looking at there's male and female. We go to Genesis 2, they're created to be with one another. So those, are, those would be straight line issues that I, I would take over. Jagged line issues, uh, Healthcare, you know, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, immigration, welfare po- policies. Uh, in fact, you know, you, you, some people will look at like Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And so certain people will say, well, that's given so we can make welfare policy off of that. <laughs> Maybe that might be helpful but I definitely wouldn't say a slack hand causes poverty. Um, the hand of the diligent makes rich. And so that's going to be my line. I come directly over on, on how we're going to help people. Or government housing, Proverbs 2, 7. The rich rules over the poor, the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Is that text given to help us understand how we're to approach government housing and we're to approach you know, housing interest rates and stuff like that? Some people might make some lines from God's word over. Uh, I would look at those as extremely jagged lines. And I would say majority of the things that we wrestle with are jagged lines. And I would say within the church, in order to maximize unity, we could uh, defer to Christian conscience in many of these. Where we could say, okay, you see it this way, I see it this way, and maybe that means we're part of different partisans um, we, uh, or, or different other positions, and we can be okay with that um, because they're, they're jagged line issues. Does that make sense, like the jagged line? Uh, and I mean, we could probably make lots of examples oh, of man. those. Um, how about, yeah. how about yeah. just questions on that? So that's, that's me just trying to say, how do we maintain gospel witness outside? Um, yeah. That's making us very aware of what are we actually willing to draw a line on? 
Yeah. Like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna push on someone, is it gonna be abortion and marriage? And then even then, I want to think, how am I going to do that? Will I use more common grace type language or, or biblical language? And, and when will I use one or the other? There you go. Yeah. I think Agreed. that's good. Agreed and, and, you know, we see that in God's word where there's going to be times that that happens. And yet, like if we bring that here, is our view on government housing greater than the blood of Christ that holds us together? Now, to one extent, I'm sure all of us would say, of course not. But are we going to function that way? And it kind of goes back to, so we started with Chris talking about the, the sovereignty of God, how he rules, whether we, whether we like the president, don't like the president, or, or whoever else in, in political positions but realizing that God is still accomplishing his will. And no matter who is in the White House, that's not going to thwart the plan of God. So we can still have confidence. And, and we can all say that here on a Sunday morning or on a Tuesday night, but do we function that way? Do we act that way? Do we think that way with our neighbors, with people in the church? And, and I would probably just say no. And the reason is, is because everyone thinks we're crazy for having this night. And I was like, but I really feel like our church is really pretty united. We disagree on certain things. But like one thing God has blessed us with is just a lot of peace in our church and, and a lot of unity in our church. And that's, that's good. And that's why, for one, I felt so confident in having a night like this where we're going to cash in some of that unity going. You know, we might disagree, but I think we're still going to agree on Christ. Yeah. That's a good question. So the question is, is uh, she communicated who she voted for, and that cost friendships and family members. So the question is, is how do we communicate to others who we vote for? And don't say anything. Or, or should we say anything at all? You know, I, I, I would... I would say this would fall under an area that I think you could answer either way. Yeah. And, and if you're going to give who you voted for, you might want to preface it first. Well, are you, are you willing to, to know why I voted for them? Um, are you going to be okay with me telling you, even if you disagree with this? Um, and, and based upon their answers there, it might really dictate my next answer. Um, or you might just say, you know what, I, I don't feel comfortable talking about that because I value our friendship so much more, and I don't want to bring in something that would jeopardize that. Yeah. So that might be a way. Yeah, it might be just as much. Well, so, so that's a really good example 
of as soon as we bring in biblical language with politics because of the idea of a lot of people with that, you know, that naked public square, total absolute separation. The moment you bring in a biblical word, we're done. The, the biggest thing is, um, um, and this has been, this is hard because we immediately just want to give an answer to someone when they ask us a question. But if you think about Jesus in the New Testament, he always asked a question before he answered a question. I mean, a lot, right? The Pharisees would say, well, what do you think, teacher? And he'd say, well, first tell me this. You know, like, and, and that usually reveals their heart. So a great, a great question to ask somebody when they're asking you something that you know is going to be sticky is simply to ask them, well, well why, would you, why are you asking me that? Um, or, or, or some other probing question that gets them to explain so you can kind of feel out their real motive or heart in this. Like, and if you determine that something's going to cause you division that's that's not going to lead them to Christ then you then you you say you know what I don't think that's I don't think that's very important to talk about let's talk about something else or whatever but I think you can yeah I think you have to be careful but I think it is good to just learn it's hard this doesn't come natural to most of us ask questions and I'm just I'm learning this more and more because I I find myself oftentimes nowadays in a in an environment where it, it could go south in a hurry depending on how I use my words and so I'm I'm learning how to do that better to be better at asking questions, and I'm not great at it yet, but I'm like trying to always force myself to first ask a question before I answer what somebody's asking me, and it's it's helpful. Go for it. <laughs> You're not putting me. You know, um, so the question is, is capital so, punishment a straight line or a jagged line issue? No. You know, I, the funny thing is, <laughs> I was actually thinking about this earlier. That's a great uh, question. Do you, do you want me to take this one? You start. I'll and then you can correct I'm, me. I'm up, I'm up for it as well, but no. Uh, so clearly from Romans 13, we see that God has given this, the, the state the sword. Mm-hmm. Now... I would say the, the, the most clear understanding of that would be the capital punishment. I would say that would be a, a clear understanding of how Paul is communicating that there. Um, but then I, I, I was thinking also, what if someone doesn't see it that way? What if someone sees that they've been given the sword as a means, as a symbol of discipline, as a symbol of punishment? So maybe life incarceration is what they would go versus uh, death penalty. Um, and so I, I was wrestling with this going, you know what? It, it seems very clear in one way, but because of Christian conscience, where people are, how people are wrestling with things, a maturity in a Christian, many different issues, I could see someone very much advocating for for another position, and yet still very much affirming Romans 13 and saying, I do believe that the state has been given the sword. And so I, mm-hmm. I think you could probably have a person that would argue both. Now, context- is it actually biblical, their position? Um, that would be another question. Um, is that actually true to the text? Um, which we could argue that. Um, but I think people could read that and come up with both positions within a, a church community. 
and I think, I think the issue of capital punishment is an issue of justice, right? And justice is something, again, if we find a starting place of common ground, even with someone who you might be on opposite ends of wrestling with that, in that issue, what's not in question is that God is a just God, typically. And, or, or that just, even a person who doesn't care about God, you could, you could start at the place of, do, do we agree that justice is very important? Right, that that justice is served in a sense, period. And I think all of us can agree on that, right? We can come up with scenarios and say, if if this person does harm to this person, ought not there be, you know, justice be served in this situation? Should not this be reckoned with, right? Um, we can agree on those kinds of things. And I think I think with with capital punishment, it comes back to justice. We may disagree. So I think I think in one sense, what is a very straight line is justice, right? Mm-hmm. And, the, and that straight line goes from the heart of God, but it's also something that every person in our society values. No matter who they are, no matter what they believe about God or not, every single person wants justice. Now, now obviously we live in a sinful world and our understanding of justice is very skewed, right? I mean, justice is always good for the person who just flew past me and cut me off and the police pulled him over, but when I get pulled over for going six over, that's totally ridiculous. Doesn't the cop have something better to do? <laughs> right? Literally, like, we have very skewed ideas of justice. I feel like you're trying to say something here. (laughs) I'm just saying. Did you get pulled over I have not been pulled over. No, I have no speeding tickets, my wife or I. Not that we didn't deserve them. Um, Not that we didn't deserve, but I think it, but I think it's, when you talk about straight line, justice is a straight line, and, and so the fact that justice needs to be served. would be then the way that we. There are nuances of how people might understand that issue that I think we can disagree on, but what we, what we, what we can't disagree on in one sense is that, if, if you killed somebody, you, there is, there is a, a, a need for that to be dealt with, right? I mean, the, that none of us would say it would be just for a person just to, you know, And this is where, for, a, like, again, and I would say, you know, you go back to Romans 14 and 15 where you're going to, where Paul really goes back to Christian conscience. And he has a position on food laws. And he has a position on how he sees them. But he's okay with people who differ from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this would fall into that. I think also this is a good example where many Christians can, can agree on, on a certain issue, but the strategy is going to be very different for how we carry that out. Uh, let me, here's another question. What's that? Does, wait, hold on, hold on. I got, I got a question here. Hold on. Does the standing up for my constitutional rights mean I'm focusing too much on my earthly citizenship rather than, than my heavenly citizenship? <laughs> so should we stand up for our earthly that's rights? Um, that's, a, that's a really good question. Paul, the Apostle Paul, right, uh, in Acts, he's, he's uh, before the king, and uh, he actually reminds the king of what? That he's a Roman citizen, right? I can't think of the, the actual number of Acts, but the, he's standing before the king, and, and he appeals to his citizenship. So it's not as though it disregards that, Right? It does matter. Like it's okay to go. Hey, I'm I'm a citizen of this country or that country. I'm a Paul says I'm a Roman citizen, and the king just like he freaks out at that moment, right? He's like, oh man, you know, he thought he was dealing with someone else. You know, like all of a sudden he realizes, oh, he's a citizen. That means he has rights. And so, so again, what are those rights in a in a country in a citizenship way? Those rights come from, uh, you know, being him for him that came from the the Roman government, but also ultimately from God but he was protected underneath this Roman government be, by his citizenship. So it, it's, I, I think it's a, 
it's one of those questions of how much emphasis do we place on it, not so much whether it matters. It does matter, right? Your citizenship matters. Uh, you have rights and protections from God because of your citizenship in this country versus another country. But, but the question is, where is ultimately your citizenship? Like, and yeah. I'll say that, let me be even more provocative to say, if this country folds tomorrow, does your hope change? Right? Your hope is not in this country or in that country or in any king or in any government. It's in Christ. Right? And so it's not a matter of whether my citizenship in this country matters. It does matter. It's important. It's important for it to be protected. But it's not the ultimate. And you know, I'd say one thing that I learned uh, is that as a citizen of God's kingdom, to some degree, that can give me distance from politics here. It should make me cautious. But because I'm a citizen of God's kingdom with his Holy Spirit, knowing that we're to communicate the love of Christ, that ought to, in the other sense, push me into politics. So I would say that while our citizenship in heaven pulls us to heaven in a sense, but because of our love for people um, who are made in the image of Christ and we want to know the gospel, that pushes us back in. So for, I think people, um, as Christians, some are going to be desired to be more involved or some are going to be less involved. And I don't think, uh, I don't think it would be wrong either way. Um, we can probably do one or two questions more. Question back and then... Oh, oh I, thought you were having, I thought you'd raised your hand at one point. I thought we missed you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry. Go, Peggy. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's right. So So she said that, just to make yeah. sure everyone, she, heard, she said Jeremiah 29, kind of goes back to that, what we saw earlier on how as the city goes well, so it goes well with the people of God. Um, and so we, we want to press into that, that we do follow the rules, that we are good citizens for the sake of the city, for the sake of other Christians, for the sake of the gospel going forth. Definitely. Romans, Romans 13 is a good one just to read when you go, like to read the whole thing. Like there's a lot of pieces we didn't get to, but it says that, that, be on night that, that these things set up and they're for our good, you know, and um, that if we're breaking the law, we should fear the law. And that's what he's saying. If we're, if we're disobeying the king, on, again, on things that, that aren't, you know, the king's asking me to do something against my faith, but if we're disobeying the king, we should expect to be punished, and that's what keeps good order, and that's God's grace to us. Um, you know, so when we, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's that, yeah, we, we need to promote that and be, yeah, hang on to that. Um, it's 8.30, so I know it gets a little bit late. I know everyone needs to get home. Um, I hope this is helpful. Uh, we, thought, we thought it'd be fun. Uh, and I think, if anything, it's, it's really caused me, as I said earlier, to be even softer with my voice in politics. Being cautious, 
why would I engage? How should I engage? What is my purpose? Um, is this going to jeopardize a, a gospel opportunity? Is this going to affect the gospel unity that we have? Those things have to trump just speaking our plan. <laughs> no pun intended. I don't know what other <laughs> word. Uh, <laughs> oh, I can't even it's, think of another word at this moment. <laughs> Diane, uh, but we need to be... Uh, Take us away, Chris. I, 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 Diane did me in. I think if we could, if we could end with anything too, it'd be just to say that we we see the climate that we live in right now. Right? It is polarized and it yeah. is awful. We can't even talk with each other in this country. Right? We know that this is the case, but the exhortation for us is to go. That's not how we ought to be. Right? I think Paul would say, like he says in Second or First Corinthians two. He would say, don't, you know, put aside all slander and malice and envy and strife. And he's saying that to them because they're living in a culture in which the government has just made war on Christians. And he's saying the government is being slanderous and they're the ones have malicious intent. He says, don't you and I be the same as that. Let us be the ones that come with, with the values of the kingdom of God at hand, like we are actually displaying the love of Christ. And, and so in any conversation, uh, we, we're, we're not, we don't want to match their rhetoric with our own rhetoric. And we didn't get to do this. This will be right. the second one. Don't, don't get in fights on social media. Please, stop. And social media stop. is not ever, ever, Bad. ever, <laughs> ever the place to talk about politics. <laughs> yes. Because no one is on social media to engage in a real conversation. It's about trolling to fight. Like, just, just know that. Yeah. Um, and if you've done it, you've experienced the, the backlash of people you don't even know who have trolled and found you and hate you. So, yeah. um, so uh, if you don't mind, um, I'm just thinking this out loud, uh, text, write a note on what you thought about tonight, on the format, what you liked, what could maybe be uh, strengthened, and if we were to do something like this again, what are some questions that you would like us to really wrestle with? Because um, again, tonight mm -hmm. we really wanted to start a conversation uh, and we also really wanted to give a framework. And that, that was really what we tried to do and, and really just say how whatever we do, it, it should not, regarding politics, affect our gospel unity or our gospel witness. Uh, so we want to make sure that that's paramount in the Christian life. Um, but, but let us know um, about, we, we, we'd love to do this again. We want to do this as a way of equipping us in the culture that we're in, and not because we're experts. <laughs> I know for sure I'm not. Uh, but because we know that as Christians, we don't normally talk about this. And I do think that this is a safe place, and I do think that we have a unity in Christ that we can engage in these. Um, and... And, you know, even as you were talking a second ago and just saying, we know how sensitive culture is about politics. Just when you think about it, think about how opposite that is here within the church, how much we talk about God's rule and how much we can all talk about it and how much we can all celebrate it. Isn't that crazy? Like, none of us are offended at that. We all rejoice in that. And just realize that's the new heavens and new earth. One day we'll be in the new heavens and new earth, surrounded by uh, the glory of God around his throne, all sharing in his rule, with his authority, sitting on the throne, experiencing the true divine political life in that sense, and we're going to have perfect joy and unity for all of eternity. 
Uh, and we taste that now here and how every Sunday and every time we gather, we can rejoice in the very rule of God. Um, so let us rejoice in that, that we're already experiencing that unity here. Uh, but let us be wise as we go out. Um, and, and I just encourage you, whether you agreed or disagreed with, with things that we've said, um, if anything, I hope it's just caused you to, to be cautious as you go forth, to think through what you would say or if you should say anything, um, and how to go about it. Uh, how about Chris, you pray, and if Amen. you want to stay around, um, Ben will answer all of your additional questions, <laughs> um, or I know some of you will have to take off. Go ahead. Right. God, let us just go from here reminded that we serve a gracious king, that you are so good to us, God. You have blessed us. Um, you have uh, rescued us from sin and death. You've given us new hearts. You have purchased us by the blood of your son, Jesus, who willingly gave up his life for us, that we would no longer be separated from you, but that we would experience the, the union, um, being united to you in Christ. And uh, God, I pray that you would give us such a, such a desire to display the very heart of Christ in every place that we go, in every conversation, God, I pray that you would give us grace and you would give us wisdom and you would help us to, to see the big picture, to know, God, that you're, you're the one who's at work, that you, uh, you're at work more in the people we are talking to than we can even see or imagine, and you're at work in our hearts more than we can see or imagine. So God, please continue to work through us. Let your church, let us be people who lower the temperature in our community, God, that when we speak with people, we would do it graciously and lovingly, and that uh, ultimately, God, that the gospel would be at the forefront of our hearts and minds, because we know that the hope of, of every nation, not just this one, the hope of every individual is Christ, crucified, buried, and risen, and reigning. And so, Lord, um, help us to keep that in mind, and uh, God, use us uh, to bring that message to every person we can. In your name we pray, amen. Um, one additional thing just to know <coughs> that if you want or if you want to tell someone, we, we've recorded this, it'll be online too on our resource page, so feel free to, if someone wanted to listen to it and wasn't able to make it, you can direct them there.